We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, The Bearcast. We are back here to talk about Cal basketball. I am your host, Rob Huang, with uh, some two dear friends here, Reef and Nick. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Having some lunch right now. Getting ready to put some positive spin on things. Yeah, Nick? I don't don't think it's the... uh darkest i've ever felt about cal sports but we'll, we'll if nothing else it's something that we are uh, used to dealing with so carry on yeah this was a at least basketball wise it was like a it was like a, oh and then a oh god like they were it was two different totally different moments um but let's delve right into it gentlemen let's start with the csun game so the first game back after a, an actual absolutely abysmal Maui trip for the team. Um, Cal played C, uh, Cal State Northridge. Cal wins eighty three to sixty three. Cal led by um, Marcus Lee five of ten, fourteen points, seven rebounds. Darius Meal eight of eleven, twenty two points, uh, three assists, four rebounds. Don Coleman six of eleven, fifteen points, five rebounds, two assists. And uh, Joanne Harris Dyson, first double digit game, 10 points on three of five shooting, four of six from the line, five rebounds, and four assists. Um, so, it, yeah, this is exactly kind of what we wanted, right? Balanced scoring, everyone doing it. Darius, of course, started the game on fire. I think he, I think the line was he was six of six from three, um, seven of seven from the field is how he started, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, he was draining shots left and right to start, and it was jaw-dropping to at least see in person. But I will leave it to you, gentlemen. Uh, we'll start with we'll start with Reef. Well, um, we were going back to the drawing board. We were coming off our worst loss, possibly in program history, and uh, we did see a little bit of what that drawing board looked like. Um, most obviously the starting lineup, we did not have two bigs out there. Um, and I don't, I actually have not, it's been a rough health and personal week for me. So I've not yet broken down that tape, but, um, not only did we not see two bigs in the starting lineup, I don't think we saw them on the floor together very much. 
We didn't. Um, we didn't see any of the two bigs play together in the season game. We did see them play together in the St. Mary's game, which we'll yeah, talk briefly about. in the second half, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. Um, but that that's a that's a huge thing development. Um, so I'm looking at Marcus Lee 23 minutes and Kingsley 16 minutes. So one or the other was on the floor for uh, most of the game, but never together. Uh, Marcus Lee in the starting lineup, um, a lot more spread out on the offensive end. Um, still some post ups, but not this sort of clogged high low, you know, four dribbles in the post offense, and a lot more shot distribution along the perimeter uh, for our perimeter guys. And I think defensively, um, you saw this only in sort of token pressure. All right, the wonders of the internet, even in a net neutral world. Um, sorry, we just got cut off right there, so. Quick, uh, quick summary of what I saw happening uh, on this drawing board was one big, um, more sort of inside out on offense and, and better shot distribution rather than um, enter post pound pound pound. Hope our, our big man does something. A lot better spacing offensively, and um, a recommitment to man defense rather than the sort of press and then zone. Um, very little, um, but token pressure and, um, the basic fundamental man to man that we'd seen in this program for the last several years with a rim protector or two, I think we, it was a little bit of deja vu seeing a recommitment to those defensive principles, a 20-point blowout against the worst Division One team on our schedule. It's not normally the cause for, a cause for celebration, but I give them at least a meeting expectations on this game because I think the danger was after Hawaii that we um, we could have seen, seen this thing go way south. And I think instead, I mean, we saw exactly kind of what we you would expect to see from even a um, bottom tier Pac-12 team, but that's not always what we've put out there this year. And it was kind of fun. It's kind of fun to blow people up by 20 and watch our guys having fun. So I put that in the plus column as well. Nick? Yeah, but I think if you look at the game divorced from the narrative of the season, it just looks like what you would expect a any Pac-12 team to do against the Northridges of the world. You know, we, we won every aspect of the game, cruised to a 20-point win, and uh, that such a result is in any way meaningful or remarkable is uh, the reality that we live in now, but it, it, that is the case. Um, I was actually not able to watch this game because work shipped me uh, down to Southern California for a couple days in the middle of the week where, shockingly, the hotels of the world don't tend to get the Pac-12 network, uh, but it, it, the concern was that whatever happened the previous week would carry over to this week, and at least in terms of a baseline level of effort and execution, that wasn't the case, so hooray for small victories. I think one of the listener questions I would have for our listeners is, when is Nick going to watch a comments basketball game again, and is he purposely avoiding... <laughs> watching this season i will have you know that i saw the entire second half of the saint mary's game sir yes one half of one um sort of abysmal game 
Yeah, Welcome so. back, Nick. Welcome back. So you watched twenty five percent of what was available for him this week. Not bad. This actually, I will That's save this for an for improvement later on. from the Hawaii week, <laughs> shall we say? I will save this for later on in the podcast. But this leads into a question that I would like to uh, ask both of you and generally Cal fans. So remind me to circle back to that. Okay. Um, so yeah. Uh, this game, as as exactly as Reef said, was just one of those. We expected them to come out with energy. We expected them to make those changes, and it played out exactly. I mean, most of us expected that that lineup change, right? We expected them to take one of the bigs out, put in four of our better athletes out on the perimeter, and it works. I, I mean, Marcus had arguably one of his better games for us, and then of course. We'll talk about the St. Mary's game, but once again, had an outstanding game there. Um, but the big thing for me here was this was Darius McNeil's coming out party. Um, and at least in the first half, guy was guy was amazing in, in person. And I, I think Reef, you tweeted this out um, about it, but our three-point shooting, Darius might be that one guy who is arguably our most consistent three-point shooter this season. Um, do you guys do you guys see any of the other guys maybe developing into a perimeter threat that we can rely on? Because I mean, as it stands right now, Don Coleman is going to be one of those guys that just drives to the basket, gets the foul, gets that type of the old school three point play. But are we going to get more perimeter shooting? Or do you see it coming from someone else that's on the in the rotation? Well, by the numbers, Justice suing. Not a huge sample, eight for eighteen, but that's forty-four percent. Just assuming can shoot the ball. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm very careful about this because I'm a big believer that, that the data data drives the answers to these things. But I am not in love with his form in the same way that I really, really like Darius Meningle's form. I think some of the things I tweeted out, and, and this comes all the way back from when we first saw him in open practices. His stroke is compact, quick, straight up, consistent just what you like to see in a good shooter and, and and justice does the i don't even know how to describe it we've all seen it but it's unconventional it's hierarchy it goes in but i don't look at that and go okay this guy's this guy's going to be a deadly perimeter shooter i think more you know driver slasher with some three-point shooting in his game and, and don's stroke looks good to me i think his um 37 right now is if i had to guess i think that's given how many sort of um, forces uh, that, that, that come out of the way he plays offense. I think, I think 37% is kind of what I'd expect. So um, those three, I think, are the shooters because I don't think Austin's going to get a ton of time this year. But they also shoot very low volume, and this is uh, something I want to revisit when we talk about the St. Mary's game and we talk about uh, this team generally and what this drawing board looks like. Um, none of them shoots a lot of high volume, and I, I'm not entirely sure where this leads us in terms of an offensive identity. Uh, when you have three guys who are pretty competent, but who we aren't really trying to get shots for on the perimeter. But um, who do I think are our three shooters? I think that those are our three shooters. And I think if I had to bet, I think Darius McNeil is ultimately going to be the best of them. Nick, any thoughts? Well, to add on top of that, the, the team factors, what's interesting to note is that so far, Cal is uh, 344th in the nation in the frequency with which we attempt three-pointers. 
which uh, looking at the list is kind of interesting because the only uh, major conference team below us is Kentucky, who's last. And Kentucky, of course, is full of the best athletes that uh, money allegedly can't buy. Shout out to Jamal Baker, who <laughs> um, I said was going to be uh, the best shooter in Cal history before he left us, and I believe is out uh, with uh, some knee surgery for an, another few months. But that may that may account for some of that that, that volume losses uh, for them, as I think he was supposed to be filling that volume spot and is uh, is sideline right now. Yeah, oh. so we are decidedly against the grain in the ever-growing three-point movement, um, despite the fact that we've got some guys who, uh, you know, at first blush appear to be able to shoot them competently. Yeah, and I want to actually uh, let's talk about St. Mary's first, but I want to revisit that sort of at the end. And I wrote about this a little bit in my recap last night because, I mean, frankly, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm out of things to write about a hard team to put a narrative on but i'm not sure what our offense is right now when it goes to nick's point about our 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 low volume um and you know rob you asked the question well who are our shooters and then you know my follow-up question to that is what are we going to do with them and i think that that's a question that i I think remains hanging over this team as we go forward that's going to be interesting to watch yeah i think that's a good transition to take us into st mary's too because at least for me, when I was watch- when I was at the game, it did feel like the inside out game worked really well with one big, especially with Marcus playing this well by himself, constantly getting the double team. There were so many great baseline wraparound passes or kickback outs, and then we swing the ball and we got open looks um, from three and also just a couple of long twos. But yeah, I, that. That could work, but that only works if our bigs are playing as well as they are currently. I mean, Marcus played the vast majority of the St. Mary's game. Kingsley only played nine minutes. But um, let's get into the St. Mary's game because I think this is where we're going to have a lot more to talk about. So Cal St. Mary's last night, 8 p.m., another battle of the East Bay. This is the first, I think, of three games. So we play Moraga next year. The following year, that comes back to Haas, and that's the end of our little three-game schedule that we've already made. I'm sure they'll schedule more. I think this is one of those games that Randy Bennett said it after the game. Um, he said this is this this game is really important for Bay Area college basketball, and I I totally 100% agree with that statement. Um, so, St. Mary 74, Cal 63, Cal led by Marcus Lee 10 of 14, 23 points, six rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, two blocks, and a steal. Um, Darius McNeil and Don Coleman. Combined for four four makes on twenty three attempts, um, and that's pretty much it. Nick Hamilton, of course, can't forget can't we can't not talk about him. Man had a career night: seven of seven from the field, two of two from three, um, three rebounds, sixteen points, two assists, and I think I also believe he took a charge as well in thirty one minutes of play. So there you have it. Um, those are the, the key stats for you, and I'll hand it off to Reef. Yeah, I think, I guess first of all, that's, I think we all were talking about this on Twitter last night, that that's about what you'd expect to happen when St. Mary's, at their current stage of development, comes and visits Cal. Um, I think we would have liked it to have been a little more competitive 
um, there are 10 point losses and then there are 10 point losses. And, and, and this one, I mean, 10 points was really as close as we got the entire second half and it never really felt like we were putting them in any real level of discomfort. Um, but, and, and, and so from a, an emotional standpoint, it, it, it might've felt a whole lot better if we kept that at like four to six, the whole second half. And then they sort of pulled away, um, at the end, but regardless, no one was, no one was surprised by a 10 point loss. But I, and, I, and I think if, if we're going to be encouraged, I mean, if that's par, at least we're playing the par now and not getting blown out by 30 and not really showing up. So it's my attempt to be positive about it. I'm looking at both sides of the ball. Again, none of this was, was unexpected. Um, St. Mary's is a phenomenal offensive team. They're one of the best teams in the country. We did our best. We did our best in man for a lot of the first half. Some token pressure again very early on, but not much of it, which makes a whole lot of sense because St. Mary's is the best team in the country and not turning the ball over. Um, so we get into our man. They run pick and roll. They're one of the best pick and roll teams in the country. We have to make a lot of decisions in the pick and roll that are really difficult. They get open shots. That was a story of a lot of the first half. We transition to um, a lot of mixed looks and a bunch of zone in the second half. Well, St. Mary's is also a 40-plus percent three-point shooting team. And what do they shoot for the year? They shoot uh, 41% from three-point range. I actually had a cold three-point shooting night last night. Missed some open looks. But uh, also really, really good at uh, finding the soft middle of the zone. And they found a lot of stuff within there. So um, they did what they do offensively. Uh, 1.17 um, points per possession. Um Actually, not horrible against St. Uh, Mary. Some of that was variance. I think they just missed some open shot. But some of that's okay. That's about what you'd expect. And on the other hand, uh, on the other end, defensively, I think, um, or, or on our offensive end, if I'm looking, if I'm looking for a reason to be a little bit discouraged, not that I have to dig hard to find these things. Um, Washington State, who everyone thinks is our competition for sort of the bottom of the conference right now put up a ridiculous uh, 1.25 points per possession, 84 points against St. Mary's and upsetting them last week. Uh, and we managed to put up 1.0 um, despite Marcus Lee going off, despite getting Jack Landale into foul trouble, despite Nick Hamilton uh, going a perfect seven for seven from the field, including two for two from downtown and having the game of his career. Um, St. Mary's is a very good defensive team right now um, and you saw them missing on a lot of communications, a lot of switches um, a lot of just trying to figure out who to guard, which is by the way shout out to Nick Cam, I mean a lot of his baskets were just, he just cut the open spots and St. Mary's decided not to guard him um, but the, the concerning part is other than those two guys who were ruthless about exploiting um, St. Mary's weakness, we didn't find a lot of other a lot of other ways to get good shots. And I thought we took a lot of bad shots. Um, so is this part of the growth process? Is this part of the drawing board? It, it might be too soon to tell. One of the things I worry about is if we're starting um, with a new drawing board and we're starting at game seven, game eight, 
how much progress have we lost already and how long is it going to take us to form an identity. But in any event, St. Mary's standard and a lot of negativity on our boards and I suppose rightfully so because it sucks to be three and five, but I didn't think the St. Mary's game was any unusual indicator of any um, impending disaster that we didn't already know about. Nick? So I, I tweeted last night that I thought it was actually sort of a fun game in a weird sort of way, and, and Reef rightfully teased me for that <laughs> because there's generally not a whole lot of fun in a convincing double-digit loss to a team. And the fun, of course, was that because it was, you know, the only thing that was working, Cal decided to feed Marcus Lee and let him go at Landale. And that was an interesting matchup. I don't think Landale is a particularly notable defender, but it's fun to watch, you know, the two best players on each team go at each other and see the Cal player get a clear win in that battle. And then you add the, the kind of Black Swan, Nick Hamilton game adds to the, the entertainment factor. Having So, you know, I, I'm looking for individual things to provide entertainment in a season where the team factors are really just not there. And the team factors is, are where I get frustrated. So there was, there was a sequence in the second half where I don't think they were back-to-back positions, but they were close to each other when Cal decided to go zone for a while. And we had one possession where Kingsley is just nowhere to be found in the middle of the zone, and they just throw to a guy who's wide open sitting under the basket for a dunk. And then right around that, we had another possession where the zone rotates in a way that doesn't make sense to guard them, and uh, Hermanson gets a wide-open corner three that he's going to can you know, every time. And I watched those possessions... And I just think to myself, if we can't manage the basics of a zone, which is guarding a guy sitting under the basket or guarding the best shooter on the team in the corner, what is the point of the zone? And evidently, whatever the coaches decided after the disaster that was Hawaii, um, they're deciding to keep the zone, which fine if if you're going to get better at it. But really basic breakdowns like that make me wonder whether or not they have the ability to the coaches have the ability to coach it such that it becomes better. Um, so yeah, excited for the individual flashes. Uh, happy for individual players to be successful, but still vastly concerned about our ability to play together as a team. Well, let me chime in on a few of those things. I just looking at the numbers. I didn't fully realize. So we, we won the second half, which we've established is um, what Nick watched. Right? <laughs> um, I did listen to much of the first half, but <laughs> so actually, let me double check that thirty to thirty-three. Yeah, we won the second half by three points. So um, I guess yeah, that's fun. It, it, it it's it's like kissing your sister, right? The problem is we we're down fourteen and we never got it below ten. So yeah, we won the second half, but it was really just a, they held us off the whole second half kind of feeling. Yeah, uh, it felt the, like they were managing it. Yeah, I mean, there, there was, and especially they were also one of the um, slowest teams in the country and very good at managing tempo. 
Um, and that's clearly what they were trying to do. Um, but um, we, we, weren't, we weren't getting completely destroyed, and, and we did pick up the energy a few times, and, and that part was fun, and uh, it was fun to see um, Marcus having his way down there. I think the two sequences you pointed out, and let me put it in the larger context of the game, are interesting to me for a few reasons. Number one, uh, the dunk off that zone was... We, we, we have this move where all of a sudden out of the 2-3 zone, um, the top two guys will trap and then the second line comes up and, 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 and there's a scheme to really get into the passing lanes. Um, and we've actually seen some success in that scheme um, because people just aren't expecting it. Unfortunately, this is St. Mary's and, and you're right, Nick, what we saw immediately was they just cut a guy to the basket and we had uh, our, our second line trying to go find traps, right? I mean, you can see sort of their minds moving and this, okay, where am I supposed to go and where's the passing lane? And meanwhile, here's a guy wide open in the basket. Um, I think that may, rather than the fundamentals of the zone, that may speak more to this, this whole question this year about are we really going to be pressuring and creating turnovers? Because if you don't actually do it well and do it effectively on the front line, right, where does that leave you vulnerable? That leaves you vulnerable um, behind and especially leaves you vulnerable to a team like St. St. Mary's that executes really well. But yeah, I think overall there were breakdowns in the zone that, I mean, but, but the other thing you have to consider is the entire first half. I don't want to say um, the entire thing cause I haven't watched the tape yet, but um, I, I feel confident in saying um, almost all of the first half we were played man to man and they ran that really obnoxious, really precise, um, really deadly pick and roll and we were down 14 and St. Mary's even with Landa allowed for a huge chunk of that first half was getting any shot that they wanted um they were getting into the lane they were getting wide open jumpers against our man as well so um they're a really good offensive team um I'm not sure this is in part a response to some of the criticism of the coaching staff on the, on the boards. I'm not, I'm not really sure that against St. Mary's is the place we want to measure our defense um, because they're going to pick apart, I think, whatever we throw out there realistically at this stage in the season, um, learning new concepts. They're just really, really freaking good. Um, but what I would like to see is going forward – regardless of what defense we choose to play the majority of the time. And I suspect it's going to be man going forward that our fundamentals improve against teams that aren't, you know, the um, best team in the nation at running offense. Cause I, I really think that's what we faced last night. And I really think a team like that, yeah, is going to make you look silly. They're going to open shots because it's what they do. They're, they're efficient. They pass the ball and they find the, the open guy. Yeah. I mean, just to add on to that, for me, the, the only couple of negatives from this that I that I can immediately think of is the first one is when we run the high pick and roll, I don't know what we were doing, but we instead of going over the top or just feeding the roller, we would the ball handler would try to split the defenders using his dribble, and we lost that ball at least four or five times. Juwan Harris-Dyson tried to do it. I think Darius tried to do it about three three times. I think Don tried to do it once. And I don't know what the what the mindset was there. Um, it was they 
they set a great edge, and we had to split it perfectly with some Steph Curry dribble moves, and but that, it was not happening. We were getting tripped up. We were losing the ball, getting it tied up, um, and so on. The big thing here is this: I, a lot of the guys on press row was talking about it was just Don Coleman has been so good for us over the last few games in terms, especially with his his ability to get to the rim and, and score, but also the fact that he was able to hold himself back and move the ball and not be so one-dimensional in getting the ball on the wing, seeing the open lane, and instead of doing more with it, just tr- taking the shot for himself. Guy went 3 of 16 with some with at least a handful of those very ill-advised um, layups. So it's... I, it's weird. It's weird because we played a pretty good game against Northridge, and of course it's Northridge. But I mean, we were. I felt like this game was a very winnable game because just it was. It kept going back and forth. The Viking said it best. He said that the basically whatever we stepped or was it Marcus or Viking? I think it was Marcus. Marcus said that every time the team kind of took a step up and tried to to get back into the the flow of the game. St. Mary's was right there to meet him. And case in point would be when we shut it, when we closed the gap to 10 um, in the second half and, you know, the crowd is all in it. But then all of a sudden Emmett Nahr hits that three from pretty much like four feet away from the three-point line and that goes in and then we have to call a timeout. That was, that was pretty much the momentum killer right there. Uh, but I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts on this question, which is the rotation. The rotation in terms of the minutes seem to be very, very erratic. Um, we know that Don, Darius, Marcus are going to get those minutes. Uh, but to see Nick Hamilton get 31, John Harris-Dyson only get 10, and Grant two minutes uh, compared to over the last few games, like – do you, do you guys have any feelings about it and do you expect do you expect it to be this erratic all year long or will we find some sort of decently set rotation maybe halfway through the season? Well, I'm not sure it's it's so mysterious in the sense that we know who we trust. He trusts Darius, he trusts Don, he trusts Justice, and to the extent he can stay out of foul trouble, he trusts Marcus, right? Those guys, I think, have been pretty consistently just out on the floor. Um, the the guards, Wings, Darius, Don, Justice playing 30-plus minutes. In fact, 35-plus minutes pretty consistently um, every single game, um, which makes more sense now that we're now pressuring up and down the floor. Um, and it makes sense because I do think legitimately those are our best guards and Wings, um, as we see it now. Um, I think... I think Marcus is pretty clearly the first big. So if we're looking at um, this drawing board in the last two games, he got 16 on Tuesday and then nine last night. But um, I think he got nine last night because Marcus was so dominating in there and that he wanted to give him full minutes. I'm just, I think my guess is that the Nick Hamilton minutes were, um, allocated on the basis of him actually being able to spot on the floor where the cuts were and where St. Mary's was giving us openings. And um, he was actually able to exploit it. I think our 
major issue last night was other than feeding the post and Marcus was dominant down there. We didn't realize that um, it took one off ball cut and screen away to get an open shot against St. Mary's. They were, they were really, really bad at defensive communication. It's actually kind of scary how far they've fallen on that front since last year. Um, but our guys just couldn't get that. So I think the reason Nick Hamilton was out there for that long was he actually had a really good sense of when and where to cut. And it didn't say Mary's last night. It was as simple as in a lot of instances cutting open areas and our guys just weren't. So I, I, I guess the way I frame the question is, um, are Austin and Grant and Deshaun going to be developed this year or not? Um, and, and, and I suppose it, it depends on opponent. Um, I suppose it depends on what's going on in practice. I don't know any of the answers to these things. Um, but I don't know that I don't know that it's a must. I think that that's up to the coaching staff. I don't know that it's a must if we're not playing 94 feet anymore either. So um, I think that's just a question mark going forward. Nick, any thoughts? Yeah, so I think that you kind of hit on maybe one of the defining questions of the season, which is if we the the contrast, the the tension between playing for now and playing for the future, and how I think maybe at the Power Five level, it's not possible to really play for the future unless you've got a trust a, a coach that has just a, a whole ton of goodwill and trust built up. Um, you know, is Nick Hamilton likely to be a contributor on future Cal teams that will could compete in the top half of the Pac-12? Probably not. But he was the guy who would help us win that game tomorrow. And maybe you know the fact that we lost anyway, uh, and and that that win isn't wasn't going to mean much if we got it. Um, you, know, you could argue that maybe we should be playing the freshman more, but I don't think that a coach can just lose game after game after game um even if it were the right decision for the future of a program but it's an interesting um issue to balance or not balance and i think if i'm putting myself in Joaquin jones's shoes i mean losing shamanad's a wake-up call and i think we all saw it within the cow community just listening to the talk after that game and people it's it's a sort of backward attention people who I've seen pay no attention whatsoever to Cal basketball in years, all of a sudden tweeting out, we lost to who? And, um, you know, that would be like losing to Weber State and Grambling in back-to-back years. I mean, hearing comparisons like that, um, for people who don't even watch the program, right? So this is this is the, the zeitgeist. This is the momentum that you're fighting against. And I think when you lose to Chaminade and you're a first-time head coach, um, who's facing some inner turmoil anyway in terms of his staff and, and some of the fan reaction, then then what's your number one concern? It's to win games. And you can't come out and lose to Northridge. But thank, thankfully, we didn't. And, you know, what happens if we get blown out by 30 by, um, by St. Mary's because we decide to go with a deep rotation and stick with his preconceived notions of the system, right? I mean, having 3,000 people show up at Hospital Million is a bad look for Pac-12 games which is kind of where this thing was headed. So um, I think 
in his position, he kind of has to play for now, Nick. Um, yeah, I agree. Because there may be there there may not be. I mean, if we keep losing the Chaminades of the world, he may not have a March or a February, much less uh, a second year with these guys, right? Yeah. Yep. Definitely, definitely true. Uh, let me ask you guys one more question about the same Mary's game, and we'll go on to some other things. Is I was talking to someone before the game, and we were talking about how we expected the game to play out. I told the guy, the game could play out in any, any way or fashion. The, the only one narrative that we could not have again is if Cal was up on St. Mary's by another 18 points, and we ended up losing the game by 10 come the final whistle. So, is, I mean, now in hindsight, is this... Uh, is this a fine loss? Like it's, or are the people that are angry on the boards and wanting a new coach now because they're saying that we our guys can't play? Do they have more fuel to their flame? Well, this goes to my overall question. And you know, leave leave comments in the chat, please, if you have answers to this. I I'm having a hard time even deciding what to write about right now because right now I think we're three and five. I don't think, I think even an NIT bid seems really ambitious right now. I think we are looking for um, positive signs this year. But what I, I'm trying to come up with in my own mind and trying to, for predictive purposes, because um, you may have heard that I wager on a game or two occasionally, um, trying to just figure out what our baseline is and, and trying to figure out foundationally, what am I supposed to be even looking for here? What's our identity what is growth supposed to look like? I haven't, or it's been a very, very long time since we have had a rebuilding year of this magnitude. So in terms of, of output on the court, an 11 point loss to St. Mary's, I think is expected. And I, I don't think the actual outcome of the game is, is, is anything that should change our perspective um, from where it was 48 hours ago. But what I'm really struggling with right now, I mean, I'm interested in Nick's take on this, is what are we supposed to be watching for this year? I mean, I have some thoughts on this, but I feel like I change it once a week. And um, with Conzo Martin's teams, we had sort of a baseline, right? We knew that our defense was going to grow throughout the year and it was going to you know, end up elite. And it's could we generate through um, our offense, through you know, running these sort of repetitive sort of flex motions and post entries? Could we generate enough offense to win games while we grinded it out on the defensive end? And how are we doing with sort of those two indicators, right? That's what we are looking for for the last three years. I mean, it was pretty easy to spot, and then it was pretty easy to uh, work off that baseline and hopefully win games off of that baseline. I, I was told this year that we were going to run and we were going to go 94 feet and we were going to create turnovers and we were Juan Harris Dyson was going to dunk all over everybody. By the way, he's even dunked yet um, this year. Um, that's what I told was told the style was going to be. And then we went back to the drawing board. And now we have a, a lineup that's more suited really to that Havoc style. Except we're not really playing that Havoc style anymore. And I don't really know. Am I supposed to expect um, shots for Don Coleman so he can go for 40? Am I supposed to expect um, Nick Hamilton to go off? What are we even trying to run on offense? I, I, I'm very confused right now 
So I don't even know that I have a baseline for myself, which is a weird way to, number one, be a fan, and number two, it's a weird space for a writer and a predictor of outcomes to be at. I, you know, I keep falling back on this, this idea of what we see from the individual and then what we see from the team. And, you know, individually, I wanted to see flashes that the freshmen coming in had Pac-12 level talent, uh, presuming that they are coached, molded, uh, brought up to that level. Team, but yeah, team-wise is has been kind of a mystery. I, what I want to see is some indication that these coaches collectively can create some sort of team dynamic to to achieve wins. Right. So we make a, a, a lot of the deal about the fact that these guys are all freshmen, and that's true. It it is hard to win with freshmen, but it can be done. So the best coaches in college basketball right now take freshman groups and mold them into teams that can make deep runs in the postseason. Now, obviously, those are five-star, borderline NBA-ready talent, and we don't have that. But the idea that you can take freshmen and integrate them into winning team concepts on both sides of the ball is not some sort of insane stretch. It's not an insane stretch to ask that these this group of players, even though they're freshmen mostly, can play a coherent defensive system or a coherent offensive system. Um, I don't know what that is right now. I don't think any of us do. Um, and I guess it's two games post the uh, Hawaii reckoning, so maybe that's too early to say in definitively what we're going to be trying to do going forward. But you know, the longer we go without some clear idea, the more concerned I think we're all going to be. And I think if I'm, and, and I, I'm trying, I'm trying very, very hard not to just pile onto the negativity that we've sort of seen erupting lately. But if I'm optimistic about any of this is I actually think if I'm just looking at the last two games and this drawing board, I actually think we've started to get it together defensively, which is what I wrote in my recap last night. Again, St. Mary's was a tough, tough test. But when I say get it together, I mean we are starting to actually see what the identity might be this year, right? And it's, um, surprise, um, a little bit like last year, a lot more man than we were anticipating, some token pressure, but really just trying to figure out how to get in your stance and lock down and um, guard your guy, which after all of the different machinations we saw in the first six or seven games, um, at least we saw in the Northridge game and then for stretches of the St. Mary's game, us settling into that identity. And now I've got something to measure, right? If, if what we're doing is playing man and then the zones a change up um, and the, um, and the press is a changeup, and the traps are a changeup, but mostly like we've got to lock down our guy and play solid fundamental man, man defense. I know how to measure that, and I know how to look for growth over the course of the year fine, and I actually think that's kind of the direction that it's going. Um, offensively, however, I was just, as Nick was talking, looking at Justice Suing in the last couple games, and he's played big minutes, um, but hasn't gotten a lot of shots. Um, 
or at least the number of shots I might have expected, given the amount of space that was opening up for him in the new lineup. And I think more disturbing than that, as I look at our schemes, I'm not entirely sure what we're trying to do or to get him in spots where he can score the ball when clearly he's going to be one of our, um, let's say, top three options this year in terms of scoring the ball. Um, Don is really good going downhill. Um, we're in transition less maybe now, but there are ways to get him going downhill, going to the rim. And I didn't see us running much to make that happen last night. Um, you could run some pin downs for Darius maybe, um, since he's probably our best um, spot-up three-point shooter, but I didn't see much of that happening last night. So where I guess I'm really concerned is in terms of coaching, in terms of what I'm looking for, I haven't seen the system be coherent this year or the offensive system other than um, the times when we were trying to throw it in the post. And if we don't, if we aren't going to rely on that as heavily, I'm not sure what else we're doing right now. And that concerns me. And I'd like to see that we went through about a quarter of the season by the halfway point in the season, for example, I'd like it. I'd like it to be clearer as we're watching what we're trying to actually accomplish, even if, um, you know, we're not perfect at accomplishing can I uh, quote a, a scary, possibly unfair stat? Yes. So, Ken Palm's adjusted offense. Oh, God. Cal currently sits at uh, 167th in the nation, oh. which, out of all six, uh, the, be- the, four, the, the six best conferences in the country, Cal is uh, ahead of only two teams. One of those is uh, Rutgers. And the other one is a Georgia Tech team that just got done losing to Grambling at home. Oh, boy. So the numbers say that our offense is, is the comparatively greater sin. Than our defense? Yes. I mean, our defense is relatively mediocre, which may not sound like much of a compliment, but um, as much trouble as we've had with the press and as many easy baskets as we've given away and as bad as that's looked, like mediocre, still like I, I can live with mediocre right now, and I can live with the where the where the man is, and I could live with the mistakes that we're making um, because I, I think I've seen some growth and some improvement over over the course of the year. I I don't even know how to measure the offense and uh, the stats that Nick's citing um, coincide completely with um, the eye test. I mean, there's this idea, you know, Don Coleman going to be our scorer, okay, but. What's a good shot for him, and how are you getting that for him? I, I, I'm not sure that that we know yet, right? I mean, I'm not sure we've had any plan this year besides dump it in the post, um, and, and and hope something good happens. And I need to see something develop along those lines because we we have guys that could get really comfortable this year and then come out next year and be really strong Pac-12 level scorers if they get spots. I think Justice Suen again is the primary example of that, but. I don't know if any of you have seen a play that we've actually run for Justice Suing that's gotten him a shot, or if we're even comfortable right now with what that shot is. Like, let me know because I've been looking for it and I can't find it. He's got to get it sort of on the scrambles, right, or um, or on the kickouts or on the rebounds, and, and, and that's not a good way to develop talent. Yeah, um, yeah, I have no idea how to how to segue that, uh, but. I have a I have a I have a question from a fan that I got, um, and it's asking about 
a pretty dang good big man that's up the street in Napa, California. Um, and it asks, if you're Jordan Brown and you're looking at this team right now and judging from what he says in in uh, in his interviews and so on and so forth, that he wants to play the power forward role, is he looking at this team going or the system right now going, oh, I, I don't want to be the sole number five or... Is the fact that we've only got one big and he can be the the cent, center point, um, just in the paint like he gets all that free reign and all that space? Is that more gearing towards what he would like to do? Like what I I'm just I guess that's what the question's asking is if you're Jordan Brown looking at the changes that we've made, is that beneficial for his recruitment or does it hurt us more? Well, I work with high school kids, so I've always I've learned that it's dangerous to try to get in their heads in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> but um, if I'm taking this, if I'm being rational about this, if I'm his um, parent or his agent, or sorry, high school kids don't have agents, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, if I'm advising yeah. him. Um, if I'm advising him, I take a look at the modern NBA, right, and um, look at the most successful teams. Look at the Warriors. Look at the Celtics with Horford in the middle. Um, look at the uh, the Rockets with I don't know, who, who, who's big for them down the stretch. Clint Capella. Yep. Um, there's um, there is a room. Uh, there is room in modern basketball for um, the classic four to be your only big, um, or even a stretch four to be your only big. Or, I'm, I'm not even phrasing that right because is Draymond Green a classic four? Absolutely not. Heck, um, I've stood near him, and I don't know if that dude's like 6'5". Um, and um, he's the big down the stretch for the Warriors. Um, so I think I think the new lineup makes a lot of sense um, for someone if they're looking for what does life look like for them after college. I think... Um, it actually makes a lot more sense um, for someone um, who could be looking at us that's an elite big man. Um, it it look, makes a lot more sense than when we were playing two classic bigs. Because I think what you saw Marcus Lee doing last night, which was roaming um, defensively um, and having to make a lot of decisions defensively on the pick and roll, um, and as are so big, and then getting back for rim protection, et cetera, and switching sometimes switching out onto um, two guards and point guards, right? Like that look is exactly what bigs are required to do in the NBA anyway. And what it does is it opens up a ton of space. And you also, what did Marcus put up last night? 25? 20, um, 23, three assists, two blocks, and six rebounds. And he also went 10 for 14 from the floor and um, could have gotten more really if his, teammates have found him a little bit better right and, and completely overmatched um one of the most types centers in the nation so um long story short i think this lineup makes a lot of sense for an agile mobile big and this um i i don't know fully how to define the system yet but from what i've seen of what they're asking marcus lee to do um what has gone on since Maui, I think, makes a ton of sense. And I would want to play in that system. Nick, anything? 
Well, I was going to bring it back to that uh, question I wanted to ask both of you and Cal fans generally. Right. That was the next thing um, on the thing I wanted to circle back to. Yeah. So, uh, speaking personally, uh, now that Reef has accused me of, of avoiding Cal basketball. <laughs> <laughs> if the shoe fits. <laughs> In all honesty, like it is, there are a number of teams that I follow. And I only have so much bandwidth that I can give to sports in my life. And so if one of my teams that I am following is, is struggling mightily, um, my initial inclination is, quite frankly, to tune out. Now, because I nominally have a job writing for CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com, please click, I uh, don't do that with Cal Sports. Um, but I think it's it's an open question for the rest of the fan base. You know, is is that um, how you should be responding? I know that there's this um, prize for loyalty and saying you stuck it out during the bad times. But if if instead of, if by sticking it out it means that you spend a year being miserable and lashing out angrily towards college athletes i'm not sure that's the right answer either so i guess the answer is as much as possible be sanguine and uh celebrate when nick hamilton has a career game and while trying to otherwise deal with a loss but i'm curious to get your two thoughts on that rob you want to go first sure um for me, I guess what it boils down to is a, a, a man can only take so much depression before, like in, in terms of the teams he follows and sadness before he gets sick of it. And uh, for me personally, there's I follow a lot of sports teams. Um, and But no, I don't have time to watch every single game. But I do have teams that give me happiness because they're good. Um, like I, I am a, I am a known Manchester United fan, and we are good. It is fun to watch them every week. Um, I am a known Laker fan. We are not that good, but I still watch them every opportunity I get. And so for me, it 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 somewhat balances out, at least for me, where emotionally and the time I can invest. Just it it has it's found a good equilibrium where I I get happy and I'm excited for certain teams that I root for, and of course definitely the Cal side of it is a lot more prominent in my in my sports bandwidth as you coined it. Uh, but it's weird, um, especially because we knew before this season, this sports season even started, football was not going to be that great. Basketball was not going to be that great, but football surprised a lot of us, and basketball is surprising a lot of us, but not in the way that football did. So for me, I'm, I'm just, I mean, especially since I have to follow the team this entire season, it's, it's found that good, good spot where I'm okay with these losses. I'll still watch. But I can easily understand the, the the point of view of certain fans saying, like, I'm not going to watch if we're going to be this bad, like, game in, game out. Um, and 
some of the mess on our message boards and some of the tweets we have certainly state that. I think I have a few reasons. Um, it's sort of as Rob was talking, sort of cataloging the reasons um, I get joy out of Cal basketball. One of them is winning. Um, it's good to win, and um, even though I, I, I do take that sort of backward pride, and I've stuck through some really lean years. And some of my favorite Cal basketball memories are, are winning games. Um, and that, so that's not going to happen this year, um, or at least not um, not uh, at the level that I think would be satisfying to any of us. So we've got um, that off the list. Um, I'm sort of curious by nature. And, um, you know, some of the reason that I got into sort of sports analysis and sports predicting um, and eventually uh, sports wagering was um, that curiosity, I think, um, is its own process uh, that I really enjoy um, and um, that I can get something out of. And I think what's been frustrating on that front this year is this has been, first of all, a, a remarkably unpredictable team. And it, it's only been eight games, but trying to find patterns and trying to um, gain understanding has been very difficult. And that's some of the frustration I've expressed already on this podcast. Um, and so, you know, the post-Hawaii drawing board, I think, is still being unveiled and they're still working it out. But um, it's not horribly satisfying right now. And this is maybe why I've avoided it, like breaking down film and trying to figure out what the heck um, is trying to figure out what the heck is going on, because. A lot of the times I just run it back and I just throw up my hands and go, like, I don't even know what they're trying to do there. Um, and that's not a whole lot of fun for me. Um, as frustrating as um, some of the Conzo Martin stuff was to a lot of people, um, it, it was actually very coherent in a lot of instances. And you could figure out what he's trying to do, whether you disagreed with it or not. And, and I'm having trouble with that currently. So my intellectual side isn't horribly satisfied. Right? And so the last part is this sort of community emotional piece. Um, it's the reason that, um, you know, for example, the twist in who goes to football games, it's not for the football. We all know that. Um, it's because, you know, God bless his heart as much as we make fun of him. Like he is like Cal community to his core. Right. And, um, and this idea that, that we are sort of in this together and that's, and that's frankly really challenging to me right now as well. A lot of my friends are tuning out or cynical. Um, I think of our CGB group, what, like two people went last night to a, um, what would normally be a big Bay Area game. There were three. Um, I saw three guys. Three? All right. Three, three. Three of Section <laughs> 9 showed up. That's a 50% um, increase. If, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about contrast, and one of the reasons um, that women's basketball has been such a joy this year is that the sense of community there has been phenomenal and um, Coach Gottlieb does a really, really good job of fostering that. And frankly, some of the experiences I've had um, with the new regime on the basketball side have been sort of the opposite of that. Um, after a while, you get to know the guys. And this is through no, no uh, I mean, I mean the, the, the team, right? And you, you develop this sort of um, relationship with the folks who have been fighting for you for years. But, and this is through no fault of theirs. These aren't guys who we've developed as a fan base that relationship with yet. Now, Marcus Lee seems freaking amazing. And I love um, 
all of the enthusiasm he's brought. He's also been here for a couple years, right? So we've gotten to see that personality a little bit. Gotten to know Don Coleman's brother a little bit. And I love that work ethic that Don brings. But overall, we're still getting to know these guys and we're getting to know them in this environment. And that 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 relationship hasn't been built yet because we're in this rebuilding mode. And so if I'm looking for reasons to stay engaged, I mean, I, I, part of it is I just have to because I'm on the writing schedule. And I'm writing like 10 more times. Um, and I take some pride in writing something vaguely coherent. But it, it's harder right now. I, I, if I'm being honest, I'm not getting a whole lot of joy from doing this. And I procrastinate by, you know, looking up women's basketball stuff and tweeting about that. And give you an easy example. Yesterday, I drove all the way down to Santa Clara to watch what I knew would be a blowout rather than just hopping down the street to go to the St. Mary's game, right? Because I had a choice either or. I had a bunch of other things to get done. And it was a no-brainer for me because one experience is so much more fulfilling right now. And, and I worry about what this means for the future of our community and our program if – this doesn't turn around a little bit. Women's basketball. Time to talk about women's basketball. Um, let's get to it. All right. So I believe they played two games this week, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I may be wrong. Uh, but both, uh, both expected wins that went probably more or less what you would have predicted prior to the games. Yeah, but uh, let's talk about what you guys saw from these games. Is it a win's a win, or I mean, the Santa Clara game was just—I mean, that was that was just a ridiculous blowout. Um, but was the lost? I mean, this is this is from a, a a Cal women's basketball fan that's a little bit further removed than the two of you are, at least this season. Um, was the was that lost to? Missouri. Missouri, a big catalyst in maybe lighting a fire under this team because that's that's at least what it seemed like. Because I watched a little bit of uh, their first game against Seattle, and it was it felt or the first game of the week against Seattle, and they looked like they it looked like they had fire in their eyes. That's pretty much the only way I can describe it. Nick or Reef? Do we lose? Sorry, I'm back. No, he's um, So I'm not sure that how, how much... I just struggled with in writing about it how much to take out of the Missouri game. And I think looking back on it, the only thing I was really disappointed by was the first half offense. Um, I think in a way it was an encouraging game because um, Nick knows, I think, better th- than anyone else, I think although people have criticized various parts of the offense in recent years, I think defensive um, coherence and fundamentals and just, I mean, what do you try to do defensively? Just shutting teams down and, um, and, and getting big stops has, has been a struggle. Um, and I, I, Missouri was actually a really good defensive performance, and it was especially a good defensive performance down the stretch. I think some of the cliched sort of questions about Cal women's basketball in the Lindsey Gottlieb era were raised again in, the, in that first half, especially with you know when the other team uh, collapses on Christina Nigue or takes away the paint, what kind of shots are you getting? Um, 
and we put up 22 points in that first half on 28 shots, um, which is abysmal. And and they were bad shots. Nick and I were both there, and they were awful, awful shots. So they, I don't I don't know that we got more than one or two good shots that whole first half, and that's what cost us the game. Um, so so. Um, and, and, and Lindsay acknowledged that afterwards and the second half was much, much better. We got a big sort of away from the basket a little bit and moving and working and pick and roll a little bit and, um, get going downhill toward the basket and a much better second half. We outplayed them the second half, um, ended up tying the game, all of that. So I think now you have women's basketball, right? And you have this week and, and, and the reality of women's basketball is I know Nick can give you an exact number, but what are there like 30, 40, 50 legitimate competitive teams in the country? And then a whole bunch of like bad teams, right? That's, that's kind of the reality. And that's, that's a lot of who you're facing in games like this. Um, and what are you really getting out of this? I mean, we, we would have, we would have won those games regardless. Um, I think you just got to look at it as what are we getting better at? And, um, what are we doing to prepare for um, when we play games in the top 50? Cause that's what defines your season. And um, at least in the games, uh, the game that I saw um, first of all, defensively again, and this is what's very encouraging me about this team this year, defensively against Santa Clara was as good as I've seen a Cal basketball team play, even considering the competition and as aggressive as I've seen a Cal basketball team play. I mean, they shut out Santa Clara for the first seven minutes which regardless of level of competition is pretty freaking impressive, but also just intensity wise and communication wise, they were really awesome. Um, ball movement again was better. Um, I, I want, I want a year where I'm going to be worrying about my biggest worry is going to be, um, offensive ball movement because the defense is just locked down as they've been. Um, I'm willing to take that. Um, so, and then that's kind of what I'm looking for going forward in what, When's our next competitive game in Kentucky? It's going to be a while, right? Maybe BYU. I mean, that's a team that we should beat comfortably, but they're good enough where you can't just immediately write a W next to the name in the schedule. But yeah, Kentucky is the team is the next team on the schedule where uh, that's a team that we could lose to and not feel totally uh, unhappy with the effort. But obviously, it's a game that you want to win for the trajectory of the season. This and, and that's the, that's I'm, not for a couple of weeks. So if I'm looking at the games for the next, if I'm looking for you know the next set of easily winnable games, I'm just looking for the, those things that those holes in our game. Are we filling them? Um, and for the most part, I think we are, which is kind of what excites me about the rest of the season. Man, this women's team, women's team plays at some hard venues to start the season like that you're playing in Connecticut and then now you have to go to Lexington and play Kentucky at Rupp stadium. Like that's, I mean, I don't know what preps you better, uh, for away like or neutral court games than playing in Yukon and at Kentucky. Yeah. The, the world of women's basketball has some interesting, differences from the men's game and Reef referenced one of them where you know, like Cal made the tournament last year despite going 6-12 and 12 in their conference which seems insane at first glance but the reality is that they were in fact one of the uh, 32 best teams or however many at-larges there are they deserved that and I think that has to speaks to the way talent is concentrated in the Power 5 conferences in women's basketball um 
but the women's game they the coaches really schedule um all the best teams play each other frequently stanford and ohio state are you know two top 25 teams they played twice this year because there's just this culture of you're going to play those games um which it makes makes it a lot more fun in the non-conference quite frankly um one thing i wanted to pull out of that uh the start to the santa clara game was i i believe for the first it wasn't just that we shut them out for the first seven minutes of the game it's that i want to say in the first seven minutes only two santa clara shots hit the rim um because we forced a bunch of turnovers they had like one air ball one you know crazy thrown up shot that just hit off the backboard they they were not sniffing baskets uh the the zero that was on the scoreboard was very much representative of the the defensive intensity that cal brought to the court and for as good as cal women's basketball has been um they haven't really ever been in the habit of, of blowing out bad teams. And granted, uh, Coach Gottlieb schedules pretty intelligently, so they don't play a ton of truly awful teams. But they've never really been the type of team to blow folks out. And so to see them do it is uh, just in and of itself encouraging. And I want to, on the defensive intensity side, I just want to tell one story from yesterday. There was, um, I think, uh, Lindsay took Christine out midway third quarters, already like a 30, 40 point lead at that point. Um, you can see she came over and talked to her. And, and my guess is at that point, she's like, all right, I'm going to give you, you know, one more run, about two, three more minutes. Let's make it a good one. That sort of thing. I'm just guessing I was, you know, 40 feet removed from that conversation, but she came back in. And in the first sequence, she got switched out onto a guard on a pick and she, and she got down in a stance and she started clapping her hands. And then someone came up to set a ball screen. And we she, she went over the ball screen and stayed in front of a guard. And, you know, it's a Santa Clara guard, and who knows how much fight they have left. But to watch Christina Nigue at the top of the key with a 35-point lead doing that, I think, speaks to where this team's at defensively in a way that I don't know that we've seen before. Um, and that, if, if I'm encouraged about anything in the early season it's it feels like a lot of that message is getting through right now i mean i'm encouraged by that and i'm encouraged by just our diversity of scoring and our freshmen you know and a lot of other things that i think are going to make us competitive but i think last year as nick and i were tweeting back and forth through a lot of really tough conference games i think defense was a common criticism i don't know that's going to that's going to be a criticism this year i think that's that's looking like it's going to be a strength and if i'm looking at the numbers that they support that um and, and, and this team can go really far if they play strong music. Really, really far. All right. Any other any other closing remarks or thoughts? Anything else we need to go over? Just that, I mean, we're on the subject of women's basketball. Can I just say also, because I was I think, such a downer about my, um, my emotions toward men's basketball <laughs> um, earlier, women's basketball has been such a joy. Um, and a revelation for me this year, I, I've been sort of a, a, a sporadic on and off fan and a consistent fan. And I think for various reasons, I've gravitated toward that team this year. Um, I'm, I'm in this Cal thing and I, and I do a lot of what we do, like writing and podcasting and, and, and going to games it's, um, for the community aspect. And 
the cow women's basketball uh, community is phenomenal. And part of it is um, you do get the sense when you're a part of that community that you are a part of um, a close knit cow family. Um, it's funny how yesterday they're, they're, I went down to the game and there must have been, oh, 70, 80 cow fans down there. And I recognized a few of them. One of them, CJ Westad, asked me how I was feeling because he remembered that I was um, coughing up a lung and like feverish during the last game. And we had talked about, you know, the crime that was CJ's fourth foul that took a bucket off the board. But okay, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. But, um, <laughs> but, but um, a lot of the joy that is very difficult to come by now on the men's basketball side, I think, is evident if you are a women's basketball fan. And I think, I think it's a shame that more people don't know that and partake in it. So I guess my overall pitch, and I made this on a few of the podcasts is, um, you know, this is a place where, first of all, you can just watch some phenomenal basketball because I actually think they're slightly under ranked. I mean, I mean th- their record speaks for itself, but in terms of talent and in terms of how good they're going to be, they're slightly um, under ranked as a French top 25 team. I think they're better than that. They play phenomenal basketball. They play a fun style. They're fun players. Um, it's, it's just a really great Cal sports experience. And so if if there are any listeners out there who have not experienced it, I encourage you to just come out and give it a shot because, you know, we need some joy in our lives and this is the place to get it. Put it on your calendars now. New Year's Eve, Sunday, UCLA at home. January 28th, Sunday, Arizona State at home. February 17th, Saturday, Stanford at home. Those are games that Cal fans should be showing up for. I will also say that they announced yesterday at the men's game, December 16th, uh, the men's play, I believe it was, um, I can't remember who we're playing that day. Give me one. Oh, second. are we doing another doubleheader with the women? Yeah, it is. Uh, but let me let me just pull up this. Cal State Fullerton. Yep. So it's Cal State Fullerton. I believe at one p.m. is the men's game. Women's play BYU at I believe five. The entire day is themed to be a Star Wars day. They announced it uh, last night at the men's game. So Star Wars releases the day before on December fifteenth. So December sixteenth. It's a whole there seven thirty Walnut Creek. I have tickets seven thirty to fifteen. <laughs> I'd be there twenty second row, I think. Yeah, so it's a it's a full Star Wars themed weekend, pretty much. Uh, so I think that'll be pretty fun if you're if you're willing if you're looking for something to do on Saturday. Basketball doubleheader, all Star Wars themed. I think that's going to be fun. Should be two wins. Should be two wins. Oh boy, now you did it. <laughs> I actually just looked. BYU was not as good as I thought they were. Ah, well, so even more so? Even more so a win. All right. That's anything, any last comments, gentlemen? We talked for quite a while today. We talked even about the darkest sports today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Didn't even get I, into the uh, the playoffs. I mean, this is actually the this is the mystery that I that I'm wondering. I, I'm I'm wondering in part what, what I'm going to have to keep writing about throughout the rest of the season, especially as it goes the way it's gone. And I'm also wondering what we're going to have to talk about. <laughs> Thankfully, I mean, we, if you 
you look at this schedule, I mean, there's a week where we do Fullerton, Seattle, and Portland State. No idea what the heck we're going to talk about that week. Um, no matter how it goes on the court. I mean, hopefully three wins, but, you know, who the heck knows. Um, and then the conference season, the Pac-12 is down this year. At least it looks like it from early returns, but I don't know, man. I, I, I don't I don't know I don't even know what optimistic is supposed to be for us but if we don't if we don't start seeing some progress on the court it's, it's gonna be that's gonna be some dog days in February I think this year for me for basketball it's more about seeing other teams fail than it is about our team doing well so Arizona losing three in the Bahamas last week Woohoo! Um, and I'll go from there when we beat Stanford and make Jared Haas cry, I missed going like four and uh, 14 in conference. I will be very happy. Also, also the note, the one thing that we should all be looking forward to is that January 20th game against Arizona State where we get the Jason Kidd bobbleheads. I think that's well worth looking forward to. This is what we're reduced to, but that's okay. <laughs> Giveaways and promotions. Giveaways and promotions. That's the way to go. Oh, my goodness. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for your time, as always. Um, and go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears.